welcome to the Ola Mamas Club, your place for everything pregnancy, birth, and babies. I'm Sibi Goodman, midwife, doula, mama, and safta, and founder of the Ola Mamas Club. I'm here today with Ayelet Shwell. Hi! Hello! <laughs> and who is Ayelet? I'm going to tell you all about her. Ayelet is a successful birth professional who built her practice living in the rural beauty of the Golan Heights. Oh, I'm jealous. While also raising her five, now six kids, Baruch Hashem. Aside from her doula work, she runs workshops for mothers who have experienced birth trauma and mentors other service-based business owners to grow successful, profitable, world-changing businesses. Hi, Ayelet, and welcome to the Business Club. So excited to be here with you, Tivi. I really, really am. Wow. So before we get started on the, the wealth of information that you're going to share with us today, it's so exciting. I'd love to find out first, how did you get started? You, you have two big things you do. One is like more marketing and one is that you yourself are a doula. So we're going to mm-hmm. talk about the doula part of you today because that's going to help our, our mamas here. Um, but when you were a little girl, I'm going to imagine that you did not you know, play dress up and play doula, right? Right. That is so true. <laughs> then and now, I'd love to hear about it. Um, wow. So, I mean, if you want to go back that far just for a second, I actually am that person who, um, you know, every couple of weeks I changed what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, everything from astronaut to um, you know, dancer, well, not dancer so much, but singer, uh, actress, um, snake trainer. So, you know, I've been through it all. Um, but mommy and, um, and caring for people was always something that was part of what I wanted to do. Um, healing, something in healing. I, I never said I wanted to be a doctor, which is odd. My sister is a doctor, which is cute, but, um, uh, I, I, healing and, and, and caring for people was always something that was a part of me. Um, so what happened between then and now? Um, I grew up hearing my mom's birth stories. I am a C-section baby, like meaning I was born by a C-section. I'm the oldest and, um, my siblings were V-backs, like V-back wasn't even a thing you know, back then. (laughs) Um, And so my mom is a strong minded person. And so I grew up hearing, you know, our birth stories and uh, being pretty confident that if my mom can have natural birth, then so can I. Um, And with my first baby, who was also the first grandchild on my on my mother's side, um, I got a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, advice from my aunties um, about how, you know, I'm going to regret it or I'm never going to make it or, you know, you're going to want an epidural or why would you ever do it without one and et cetera. Um, so, and I, so well, so well they, are. They, they really are. They, they wanted to help, you know? Um, and I remember one particular moment, uh, I was probably, um, let's say it was Purim. So, so, Oh, we seem frozen. One moment, Ayala. We I was yeah. the um the internet seems to have frozen. 
So you said, I remember one moment, and then we focus. Okay. I remember one moment. Uh, it was Purim time. So I was about seven months pregnant. And um, we were all at my aunt's house for uh, Seuda. And we're in the kitchen. I guess I was getting something, helping bring something in from the kitchen. And um, my aunts were all in the in the kitchen with my mom. And, and you know, they said, again, they launched into this, like, you're not really going to do this naturally, are you? And um, I just remember looking desperately at my mother. And she said, I was like, what? Like, help me out here. And she goes, I yell it. Every contraction is its own thing. It starts, it might get really bad for like maybe 30 seconds, maybe 60, and then it's over. Can you handle something for 60 seconds? I was like, yeah. She goes, then you can do this. And that shut everybody up. <laughs> and it's still advice that I give to my clients sometimes. It's like, remember that this is not, you know, 12 hours of pain. It's waves and it's something that you can handle in each moment. Um, so, um, your mom's VBACs, they were natural VBACs? They or were they natural. So she really knew then, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 they were natural, yeah. They were un unmedicated. I actually don't like to use the word natural birth anymore these days. Um, it doesn't really mean anything anymore or it means something different to every person. But, um, yeah, she felt that the, that the Demerol and lack of movement that she was, you know, in my birth was part of what led, led to the bad positioning that ended up ending in a C-section. And so she felt like, I'm not doing that again. I don't want any drugs. My body can do this. Uh, and she managed four wow. times. You know? Wise woman, very insightful. So I grew up with that. And uh, when I was, um, and so yes, I did end up giving birth without medication to my first uh, child. Um, and, but I will say that it was anything but natural. And so that's why I kind of don't even like that term. It was not physiological. I fought against everything around me to give birth vaginally without medication. And um, it sort of opened my eyes to the idea that birth in a hospital is already an interference in the process. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, um, but for me it was really not conducive to my process. And um, so I started looking into other options when I was pregnant again, and I, so short, long story short, um, did at the very end of my pregnancy, like 35 weeks, my husband and I got kind of fed up with everything that we had been finding and chose a home birth. And we hired a midwife, and we had a home birth in New Jersey uh, 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago now. And with a midwife and a doula, and it was like this amazing, transcendent, beautiful, healing water birth. And it was like, you know, oh, my gosh, everybody has to have babies this way. That was what I thought in that moment. Um, and so I went off to become a doula in order to help other people have births that I had. And I learned very quickly that that's not what a doula does. Um, uh, <laughs> and that's not our purpose. But um, that was my motivation at the time. It was like, wow, you know, if everybody knew what kind of birth you could have at home in the water with supportive environment, like, you would all do this. And maybe that's true, I guess that was really our culture. But um, 
but that's not really the job of a doula. Um, our job is to really listen and to hold space and to create um, a supportive environment for a mother to make the best choices for her, for her birth, for her baby, um, and for her family. And that's obviously can range from everywhere from uh, home birth to an elective C-section, like everything and everything in between, um, as long as it's the right thing for her and, and coming from a place of her own understanding and knowledge and decision making. So you're 100% right, because I've been to some births that were technically home births, but you never know it. And I've been to some births that were technically hospital births. They were like, the most spiritual, the most amazing experience. So you're 100% right, tuning in to what each woman needs for her body, and her, you know, emotional well being and all the things around it is really more the most important. Exactly right. And that's really what I'm going to talk about is what are the four elements that will make or break a positive birth experience. And they really will, you'll, what you'll see is that these four elements apply in any circumstance, whether you're going off into a forest to give birth by a brook, or, you know, or again, like I said, you know, or if you, or if there are complications and you have to work through things and whatever ends up happening, um, these four elements are universal. And if you can grasp these, if you can um, internalize them and find a way to actualize these four elements, uh, you are on your way to a positive experience, no matter what the circumstances are. This is so exciting. Okay, great. So before we go into each of the elements, briefly, what are the four elements? Sure. So the four elements are voice, choice, power, and support. Voice, and power, voice, and support. Yes. And um, they do overlap, you'll see, but um, the thing that I have found in the five years of doing birth processing workshops, uh, I call them Birthing Our Stories workshops, um, and these are workshops where I work with mothers who have had um, a birth trauma or a um, or a traumatic birth, which are two different things, um, when they're holding on to fears or um, a sense of failure or a sense of confusion about their birth and they can't let it go, um, the Birthing Our Stories workshop can be really helpful in healing. And so for the past five years, I've been listening to people's birth stories in the context of the workshop. And what I have found is that those four elements, and I'll go into each one as well. Um, the places where those, where I can say, this is where you used your voice. This is where you called on your power. This is where you made a decision. Um, you know, this is where you had support. And then the opposite, this is where you, your voice was silenced. This is where your choice was taken away. This is where, et cetera. Um, and, and once you can kind of see those moments and see those elements within the story, it, it, it's like, it's almost like you can tick it off. It's like the more times you are missing those four things, the more negative the experience is going to have been. And the more times you can say, here we have these four elements, the more positive the experience is gonna have been, even though there might've been places where 
you know, where it goes, where you have both. This sounds to me not only that it could be useful, and, and two things are popping into my mind. One is what you were saying with your, with your beloved aunties trying to give you advice. As soon as you're pregnant, everybody wants to tell you their horror stories, right? And the yeah. horror stories they heard from someone else or they read on the news. And it's like, no, 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 go away, go away, go away. So if someone's horror story has gotten into your bubble, can you use this to, to sort of protect your emotional well-being? diffuse it sure I, I think so and I, I think really that comes down to the power of stories um, and why I talk about birthing our stories rather than like birth experience or something the story when you tell a story um, you know you it it bypasses your on a, on a subconscious level, when you're hearing a story. One moment. Go ahead. My youngest daughter, Elisheva's home. Remember I told you that I'm making a movie today, right? This is my Hello. friend. Right? And we're making a movie about how to have a really fun time when you grow up to be a mommy and you have a baby. Because Elisheva's mora told her that it's really hard to have a baby and that Chava had to suffer and that there was punishment. And it really was pretty scared to have a baby, right? So I said, I said, don't worry, because mommy loves to talk all about how to have more fun when you're having a baby. So my friend Ayala is teaching not only you and me, but she's going to be teaching all the women of Am Yisrael how to have more fun when they have a baby, okay? So we're saving it for you. So now you're going to go off. Wait, you're going to go off and be very quiet with Chaim in the room. You can have hungriness when I'm done talking to my friend Miss Ayelet, okay? Go off with Chaim. I love you. And we'll see you in just a little while, okay? Bye. What a cutie. I love how you said that. I love that. <laughs> But, and you know what? Go, 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 cutie. Go, go, and then close the door to the bedroom. Just stay there because we're talking about... Yeah, that's a great example. The way that you spoke to your daughter about birth and having more fun with birth and, you know, that's a story that you told her. And, um, and the way that we, when we're listening to stories, that it's one of the only ways that we can overcome the biases that are, that, that we have formed in our own minds. So I'll give you an example that happened in one of my first... Um... One second, I get it. Wait, he's up, he's up now. You can go, Maddie. Go, go. As you're saying, you'll give me an example. Yes, you'll give us an example. So um, you know that when a bunch of moms are in a room talking, inevitably the conversation is going to go to birth and everyone wants to kind of one-up each other on the horror stories. Um, and, in, and, and this experience of sharing our stories should be a place where we connect with each other. It should be a place where we support each other, where we give each other chizuk. And instead, we end up judging each other and invalidating each other and interrupting each other and bringing in, as you said, stories that we read on the internet or heard from somebody else. And in my workshops, I make it very clear that the only um, stories that, are, that we can tell in the workshop are firsthand experiences. Because no matter what you read, 
no matter what you hear from somebody else, it's going to be colored by their experience. And here in the workshop, when you tell your story, I can ask you questions and I can get to the truth of your experience. But when you hear something from somebody else or when you read it, especially if you read it on, the, on, a, on a news source, it's going to be colored by the biases that are being, you know, that the person wants you to have. Um, so when you're hearing a story though, um, you know, that's why like bedtime stories always have a lesson, right? Um, because we can overcome our, our defenses, our like biases and our defenses when we're listening to a story. Uh -huh. So, um, so I'll give you an example. In one of the very first uh, birth story workshops that I did, uh, I had a woman who um, introduced herself. So this is a group of four women, um, and I don't, uh, it's always like people coming from all different kinds of um, places of, I don't, I don't do like a workshop for people who had a C-section or a workshop for people who had whatever. People come from all different These backgrounds are the and decision making. These That's are in the workshop. What, live workshops, correct. Okay. Um, so... I had a woman who introduced herself and said, um, I always have my ba babies um, vaginally, but I would never do it without an epidural. I don't know why anybody would. And that's how she started her story. And she went on to tell her story. Okay. Um, and then, and this is just an example about how storytelling changes the way that we think. It has nothing to do with whether or not epidurals are good or bad, okay? Um, and that wasn't the con what came up in her stories. We barely touched on the fact that she had epidurals or not. I spoke about it a little bit. I mentioned that in one of her births that uh, it's possible that the, you know, that the complication of the epidural was the reason that something, ha et cetera, you know, happened. Um, but that was it. Someone else told her story. And in her... I'm just going to interrupt you because epidurals have a time and place. Like I Absolutely. have births. That the epidural, there was a there was a situation when it was needed. It was amazing. So we're not judging here, but exactly. just information of how to use it in the right time, right? And and actually, in my in my workshop, that's not this is it's not birth education. I'm not talking about that even. There's no value placed on any decision that a person made. It's just it, it the purpose of uh, in the workshop is to understand where those um, decisions came from, what the basis that you might have had at that time, and what might have been, you know, going on to help you understand better what you experienced. So yeah, absolutely. This has nothing to do, like I said before, and like you said, with whether or not epidurals are good or bad, there is a time and place for everything, for every single intervention. Um, and, um, and, you know, and, and absolutely, that's not what this is about. It, it's really about our biases. And also, like, I just want to put, um, point out that so she came in with this idea that there's no reason to ever have a birth without an epidural and nobody in when like when I spoke to her made any mention that that's not the right way to think at all because it's there's nothing wrong with that right um, and that's her belief okay so another woman told her story and her story was was different she had had three um, medication-free births in the hospital. And in her fourth birth, she had had 
uh, a, um, she was very ill going in. She like had the flu and then she went into labor and she was exhausted and it was dragging on and she ended up taking an epidural and she felt very guilty about it. And she felt um, like a failure because she had resorted to this epidural. And so we talked through that and we talk and, and, and then on top of that, her next sort of fear was that if I have another baby, will I be able to do it without an epidural? Like what if this happens again? And so we talked about um, the different, so with her, because that was her question, we talked about why the epidural was the right choice for her in that birth. We talked about how if she were again to be in a situation where she was constricted in the hospital, what are other options for pain relief, um, you know, for coping, uh, et cetera. And because that was her question. Okay, so all four women tell their stories. It's over six weeks. At the end, I always ask everybody to kind of go around and say, what was one thing that you gained from this experience that you didn't expect? And the first mother said, you know, I could imagine having a, trying to have a baby without an epidural. <laughs> and she's like, I never knew that there were other ways of, of pain relief. I never knew that there were other ways of, of coping. I didn't even know that there were so many risks involved. And like, these were things that she didn't know. And I said to myself, and I said to them, I, I said afterwards, after everybody shared, I said, I just want you to know that this is the only environment that something like that could have happened. Group of mothers together and you have someone say, I would never have a baby without an epidural. No one on any level is going to convince her that she should try something different. There's no way. But because of stories and because the way that we listen to stories is that this is not about me. This is about somebody else. This is about their experience. Um, it can open our minds to hearing other possibilities and understanding where other people came from with their decisions. And so um, this is just sort of something that, you know, if you're here and you're listening and you've never had a baby before, what I would love to say to you is this is um, a way for you to come into this experience knowing that all your options are open and everybody makes decisions from different places and when you when you come into an environment like a hospital to have a baby you also have the 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 decision making process of the hospital staff and the protocols and and ultimately everyone's um, ultimate desire is to have the result of a healthy mother and a healthy baby and the only the you know, when, when the way that that happens is, is not being communicated well or when it doesn't sort of jive with what you expected, so that can be difficult and that can cause, you know, trauma or feelings of failure. But, um, but when, you, when you can come from a place of understanding that everybody has a basis on which they make decisions, um, you can be more understanding of each other and you can be less judgmental and you can also be less judgmental of the judgments <laughs> that other people are having and coming at you with. So you I hope that that- You sounded really wise, less judgmental of the judgment. Can you explain what that means? I like that. 
Sure. I, I will go back to my aunts who have tried to get me to, you know, to admit that I could never have a natural birth. Um, and, you know, so where are they coming from? They're coming from two places. One is fear for me, right? Their niece, their oldest niece, the first one of that generation having a baby and, you know, they're wanting me to have a good experience um, and to be healthy. And they're also coming from their own place of, I made the decision to have an epidural. Um, and for me, it was the right decision. And there's a fear there that maybe if, if it's not universally correct, meaning if there are people who say that, no, you can have a baby without an epidural, then maybe my choice was wrong. That makes sense. Oh yes, yes. Right. So, so you, um, by you going forth, and I see this not just in pregnancy. I mean, you can see it almost in anything, right? If you if you lost weight in a way that someone else can't lose weight, they sometimes people will stop in your friend or crazy things will happen because your success means to them that they're a failure and they just can't. They just don't even want to see you, right? Correct. And it's so, um, it's so, um, one second, I'm sorry. One second. It, I'm in here. So is she planning on coming in here? Oh, it's, I'm in my daughter's room and I thought she was coming in. Um, <laughs> All your kids home today and they're not feeling well and you just I, share this with the world. Yes, I have. And my husband is also sick. I have everybody sick out there. I, my my baby is at the is is the only one who's not sick. So it's like, I sent him to Mishpachton. I almost stayed with him. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going home. <laughs> but um, hardcore mothering is going on here, people. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> no joke. I'm making um, chai tea with astragalus and, uh, and you know, all that good ginger and all that good, like, immune boosting. And I'm making chicken soup. And, um, and now I'm hiding and talking to you guys. So, <laughs> Well, I'm happy we could provide a place for you to hide. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, what were we saying? So you were saying about the judgment with your aunties and... Yeah, so judgment when, you, when somebody, exactly, and you said about losing weight or, you know, that, how, that somehow your, what, was, what worked for you, if it didn't work for somebody else or if, or if something works for somebody else, like we always put value judgments on our own decisions. And the reality is that if it worked for you, then it was right. And here's another quote, and I really love this quote, and um, maybe I'll, I have a, I created like sort of a meme for it, and so I'll, maybe I'll share it with you, you can put it up in the show notes. Um, Maya Angelou, who was uh, just a fantastic American poet, current, she recently passed away like two years ago, um, uh, had a beautiful line, she said, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. And let me say that again. Do the best you can. Do the best you can until you know better. Until you know and better. When, yes. And when you know better, do better. 
That's beautiful. Isn't it gorgeous? And it's so, it's like you can, you can retrofit it too. It's like you do the best you can with what you know. In every moment, you can only make the best decision with what you, with the resources that you have. And it is amazing because, because Hashem, it's like Hashem gives you what you, your knowledge, right? And you, and you really, we always try to do the best we can. And I, I learned something really recently. She said, if you look back a year from now, you look back on your work, on, on whatever was going on a year beforehand, and you're not embarrassed by it, then you're doing something wrong. Like you're supposed to be growing. It's supposed to be, but at yeah. the time, don't judge your, your, your former self. You did the best you could at that time, right? I will literally sometimes go in, like, you know, when I'm working with somebody with their birth story and I'll say, I want you to just close your eyes and go back to that moment, you know, where I, you know, I don't know why I let them do the induction or I don't know why they, whatever, go back to that moment. I had a friend who had trauma because, because she had peer pressure to have a home birth and she wasn't really a home birthy type of person. Right now, my training is as a home birth midwife, and this is a friend of mine. So I, hopefully I didn't put the pressure on her, but she felt somehow peer pressure from the world. She had a home birth. Her previous, her births beforehand were hospital, and Baruch Hashem, she realized that, and afterwards, she went back to hospital birth. Her home birth was traumatizing for her. Yeah, and so she's, you know, so when she's asking... Absolutely. And when she's asking herself, like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I make that choice? And I really will go back with them and say, go back into that moment and really be in that moment. Be the person you were in that moment with the people around you, with the stuff you knew, with the, you know, with the resources you had. Could you, could you have actually made a different decision? And when we do that, they really realize that they couldn't. Like, no, I did. I made the best decision. And yes, it's so freeing. It's so freeing. Um, and even if it turned out to have negative consequences. I would say negative. Negative, right? Because, like, it's all a journey. For sure. For sure. But even, meaning even if you regret the consequences, if you, even if you feel like, if I would have, you know, even if you recognize, if I would have made a different decision, something else might have happened. First of all, something else might have happened and it might not have. That's first of all. And second of all, <laughs> you could not have made a different decision. It was the right decision in that moment. So, um, so let's go back to the four elements. And I, I really want to go into those and uh, so that, because I, I think, like you said, I think most of the people who are listening here, most of you are um, first time moms or you're looking into this or um, maybe you've never had a bad experience, which is great. Um, but you know, a way that you can know better and do better in this moment and, and have, you know, sort of take the steps that will help you to have a positive birth experience, no matter what your, situation um, is really focusing on these four elements. So the first of the four elements is your voice. And, um, and your voice is, is really your most powerful tool. Um, it's the tool that you can use to um, ask for what you want, to ask uh, questions about your care, to, um, uh, you know, to tell, say what you don't want, 
Um, and if you are not an assertive person, then make sure that you have somebody with you that will hear you and amplify your voice. And that goes into support, right? As I said, they all do overlap. Um, so voice is really important. And I, I want to teach two questions, and I'll, I'll share this post with you also because it's really powerful. Um, you know, um, a lot of people have talked about the brain assessment. Have you seen that? B-R-A-I-N, um, the four, the five things that you can ask. But five questions are really too many. Um, I boiled it down to two. You've never heard that? I've never See? heard this. Okay, so this is a doula thing, and people, you know, like they'll have this, sheet and they'll hand it out to their clients it's the brain assessment like any um intervention so you ask what are the benefits what are the uh repercussions well yeah i mean i can't even remember them it's too much <laughs> but there are two questions that you can ask whenever you're uncomfortable with your care so anytime whether it's in a doctor's office whether it's in your birth itself whether it's with a doula or a midwife whatever your circumstances if you're uncomfortable if you're not sure about what's happening you can ask these two questions they don't take a long time so even if it's an emergency people can stop and answer your questions um, and it's non-confrontational but it 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 brings the power back to you the first question is, why do you believe this is necessary? So anything, a vaginal exam, um, an ultrasound, uh, a, a test, a routine test that you are not comfortable taking or that you are comfortable taking but you want to understand better, anything, anything that's going on, why do you believe this is necessary? You're asking, you're not saying, care why do you believe this is necessary? Right. You're exactly. Saying, you're saying, why do you believe this? Or why, why are you saying this is necessary? In your okay. own sort of words, not why exactly. is this necessary. Because if you only say, why is this necessary, then like quoting from the dogma, right? Why exactly. Why are you saying that this is necessary? Why do you believe that? Why, why is this what you, what you were saying to me, right? Exactly. Exactly. Why, right. Why do you feel, so you could say, why do you feel this is necessary? But yes, make it about the person who you're talking to, the care provider. Why do you feel this is necessary? Um, or why do you feel that I need this? That's another way you can say that. Um, okay. Or that we need to do this. Um, so that's question number one. And question number two is, what happens if we wait? Uh, and those two, yes, those two questions are non-confrontational, but they bring the power back to you. They bring the focus back to you. Remember that like when you go into these, you know, when you go into having a birth, I mean, sometimes it can feel like you are an accessory to the process. <laughs> that like, you know, everything's sort of happening around you and the things are beeping and the other things are bipping and the, you know, and there's all these tests and all these whatever. And sometimes it's like, wait a minute, I'm the one having the baby. Like, hey, woo, hello me. Um, so these two questions, can bring you back, bring the power back to you, bring your voice back up, um, and get you the support that you that you need, and allow you to make the choice. So you can see all four elements at work in these two questions. I can see how that would be so powerful because I've been at births where they said, "Oh, we have to do this now." Now we didn't necessarily ask the first question. Sometimes when the nurse went out, I would explain it to the birthing woman because I knew they're saying this is necessary because etc. But when they would come back, we'd say, well, 
what would happen if we wait? And then they almost always say, well, we can give it 30 minutes. We yes. can't, right? And I, I did that once, and, and they were supposed to come back in 30 minutes. Well, they didn't come back for two hours, and I had to go call them because she was ready to push, and the whole thing was over. Exactly. So that can be a very that, powerful tool. It, it really can. Because then also the other side of it is if it's a true emergency, they are, you are going to get that answer. We can't wait. There is no waiting here. And then you know there is no waiting. Because really, when you ask that question, it really does, it's like sometimes it's just like, okay, we got to do this. You know, this is our job. We're going, we're going through our motions. We're doing what we have to do. And they don't think about waiting. Why would you wait? But once you ask that, yeah. once you say like, what happens if we wait? Mm -hmm. You know, then it's like, oh, yeah, we can wait. Or, or not, or if they say or no, not. wait, and then you, you don't have to hold the guilt, you don't have to hold the what if, Correct. and you know, I see this, I mean, we're talking about birth, but I do see when I talk to my teenagers, sometimes they have those kinds of things also, you know, I went to school, and this happened, and that happened, and, and it seems so similar what you're saying, where their power, or their voice, or a decision was made, it seems like these are really good, good tools for life. Definitely. Wow. Definitely. Going back yes. to what you said earlier about if you feel you're not a person who might be able to assert yourself, to have someone with you, I think that really is so important because, well, first of all, even if you're assertive, I know for myself, I'm fairly assertive when I, when I want something or I don't want something, but I don't want to have to be assertive in labor. Yes. So I, I told my midwives, like, this is what I want. I want you to keep my husband posted. For me, that's very important because I worry about him. I want you to keep him posted. And I, then I told him, I want you that if I say this, I want you to say this for me, right? So I yeah. tried to get all the people that were around me knowing beforehand what I want, what might, you know, I mean, obviously it helps if you know, because with your first baby, you don't, you don't quite know yet, but just observe right. Or, or trying to, to, you know, from the things that you're learning to say, oh, well, if this happens, what might I want? And the person that, you're, that you choose to be with you, um, like, like you had said, you didn't say that they have to be an assertive person. What you said was they have, you want someone who will speak your voice. And yeah. that's really different, right? Because yeah. an assertive person could almost be covering you. Like I had one, somebody... Um, I had said I wanted to change position and pushing and she said no no you're okay so I continued pushing with no progress I ended up having sore muscles until I said I'm changing position I want to change position the baby was born like almost instantly yeah and that was actually my last hospital birth it was a midwife in the hospital and that's that was my push to go for home birth and my personal journey because I realized that even though she was so nice and she was just by trying to be kind and not force me to change position, but I, I wanted to change position. I knew what my body was saying. And yes. the position I wanted to change in was technically a worse, again, air quotes, a worse position. So she, she was like, no, you don't have to do that. That's yes. what my body wanted. Wanted. Yeah. So to try to look for someone who will, who will speak what will listen and like share your voice and not necessarily the person who knows the most. I don't think Correct. you need, I mean, 
a, a doula is the best and you want to interview different doulas. But if you can't have a doula, someone who just you feel connected with, a mom, a sister, a friend, anybody to be there for your husband, anyone to be there for you can be so powerful, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's what support, that's the support part is finding, making sure that you have the team around you that is going to give you the support you need, um, that you're going to, um, your, your team is not just your, um, the people who you bring, but it's the people who are there as well. So you want to make sure that you're getting to a, um, that you're going to a, uh, you know, to a place where you feel comfortable, where you feel that you will be, will have your voice, your choice, and your power, and be supported in that place. And so it's not which place has the most beautiful rooms, and it's not which place has, um, you know, the people who seem the nicest. If you're being really honest with yourself, you want to choose an environment where you're feeling, your very strong feeling is that they are there for you, that they are listening to you, that they are, are um, that the, the people around you, that the staff and the protocols and the, um, the um, uh, what's it called? Protocols of that place are supportive of the woman's process, of your process, and what you want. Um, so that is that's something to be really, really aware of when you're looking at um, birth places, at hospitals, um, or different options. Um, unfortunately, I think hospital or home are the only options these days. You don't have birth centers here, but uh, maybe one day. In Israel, we don't have birth centers right now, fortunately, but. Our women could be anywhere in the world. Sure, that's right. Where there's a birth center that's kind of a night in between. Right, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, I'll say one thing about doulas. I also, I, I really don't think that every single person needs a doula at all. Um, I like to do, I do birth, birth visioning sessions with, um, with prospective mothers, um, and I help them to build their team. So... Uh, I can, you know, so very often I will say, well, in your case, you don't necessarily need a doula, but we can do a session with your husband or a session with your, you know, your partner or your, your mother or whomever to help them be that person for you. Um, and so, you know, but just knowing that the person who you're bringing, the people that you're bringing with you, like you said, Sivi, that are amplifying your voice they are not going to override your voice but they're going to be listening to you and 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 reminding you what you wanted um uh so that's uh that's a voice and, and also and, as a on between you and the staff or the midwives or whoever you're interacting with right right and and really that also depends on the dynamic though i, I want to be really clear that a doula is not always an advocate. Um, we can't always take that role. It really depends on the dynamic in the room. Um, and very often, a doula, if the doula or the birth partner, even, you know, if it's the husband or if it's a friend or a cousin or whomever, um, is the one saying something, then 
that can actually have more, make more problems. <laughs> I know, I'm so happy you brought that up because I use the word liaison and it's, it's not the right word. You're, you are correct. And in my experience, you're a million percent correct because if you speak up and say, oh, well, she doesn't want that, you're right, it's bad. But what I meant more of um, to say, to, to be a person who can go get you a drink, who can call oh, yeah. and say, hey, she needs a pillow or she needs, could you come check her, she has a question that sort of voice for you. Yes, but absolutely. And the benefit of, of having somebody who is outside of your family or your friend, the benefit of hiring somebody to be that person, like a doula, um, is that she's not, she, a doula is not going to be um, afraid for you. You know, like they, their emotions are not going to get in the way of them helping you. And um, that's something that I see, that's sort of like a downfall that I see kind of often um, when couples don't take a doula, is that as prepared and as loving and as supportive as the husband is, he ends up getting, you know, nervous by the situation and, and then not being able to be that sort of, um, uh, unbiased, um, you know, objective person who is there for your interests and to protect you. Um, More than that, a doula knows that labor is natural. They know that birth is normal. If it's your mom or your husband or sister, this is their first birth too, probably. Mm -hmm. and, they're, and they love you dearly. So you're right. You have all these different relationships that can be tangled up potentially. And yeah. uh, that can be more tricky. So you're right. Once you have the doula, she knows what she's doing. She's not emotionally involved. She believes that birth is normal and natural. That can potentially, again, either both of them have different situations, but that can be a right. really, yeah. Right. And she'll recognize when something is not, is really not normal. So meaning a doula will have that, should have that experience and that ability to say, right, so that's why they're saying, you know, that's why this is a place where we are going to divert from your birth plan, you know, we are going to go in a different direction because this is actually a complication. Um, and, uh, and she'll be able to say, right, so I know that this feels like it's crazy, but it's totally normal. Um, so yeah, so that's a benefit of having an outside person in that role. But it's certainly, again, not necessary for everybody. And it can be, um, you know, there are other ways to get that support. So we've gone through two now of your, of the four ways. So yeah, again, they really are all very um, intertwined, but we talked about voice. Um, choice, um, you know, choices really where, I mean, it goes also to those, those two questions make that really um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing my, um, my words now. Um, those two questions that I taught you really can bring your choice out as well and make that really, um, you know, front and center. So choice is, it, it's two, it, it goes two ways. Choice is number one, that you are always you, you, the, the choice is always yours. So um, it goes two ways. It, it, it goes in the direction of I'm the one making the choice, but also I'm responsible for my choices. 
And being responsible for your choices is different than blaming yourself for the outcome. Right. So you um, ask those questions. Why, why, is this, why do you think this is necessary to do right now or something of that variant? And is this, well, is this important to do right away? So that's the second right. question. Right. Yeah, the first question is, why do you believe this is necessary? And the second one is, can we wait? What happens if we wait? Okay. So once you, and you're going to give us this written, right? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so once you've asked that, you're saying, then your choices are clear. They're more clear, and then you can choose. If this is an emergency, we need this to save your baby's life, and no, this cannot wait, that's it. There's, there's, no, there's no choice because the, cho the choice is clear. Let's do it. Right, but I want, I want to make it very clear, though, that you do always have a choice. A person in that situation can be told there is no other, you know, there is no, this is a dangerous situation. We must t take you for a C-section to save your baby. And a person in that situation can say, no, I'm leaving this hospital. They That's, can. That is true. I've seen, I've seen it happen. You're right. You're right. And, and, and meaning I'm not, I'm not suggesting that anybody do that. I am saying that you, you always have a choice. Well, that reminds me of Victor Frankl, right? The, the man who wrote, he went through the Holocaust and he was a therapist. Hi, why are you home early? Sorry about that a second. <laughs> what were we saying? Do you remember? <laughs> choice. We were talking about choice, about always having a choice. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. That's such a big, that's so true. Yeah, you really do. Oh, so Victor Frankl, I was saying that he went through the Holocaust. And he was already, what was he, a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist, right? And he, and he realized that even in such a situation, even in a concentration camp, you still have a choice. The choice is to be happy. The choice is your attitude, what, what's going on in your mind. You always, always, even when all your choices are taken away. So certainly you have the choice, like you said, to just get up and walk out of the hospital or say, and, no. It's right. my and choice in my opinion, the choice. But again, that, that when you know that you have that choice and you say, I choose to trust you, I choose to, to, to take this action, you, you know that you made the right choice. You, did, you don't say, I had no choice. Right. You're not okay, saying that came in, the baby was in distress, and they had to do a C-section, and I had no choice. You're saying they came in, they showed me that the baby was in, in distress, I understood that the best decision is to do a cesarean section, and I made the choice to do it. Totally exactly. different story, as you were saying, story, totally different story. Totally different story. Wow. And, okay, and so, um, you know, we're talking here about, also, I, I, I want to take a step back and say we're talking here about a lot of, you know, complications and things. Most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, you, you, a person, you know, goes into labor, starts having contractions, goes in, you know this, and I'm just going to say it, you know, goes into labor, starts having contractions, the baby moves their way down, you know, the, through the pelvis, the contractions get stronger, you feel like you have to push, you push out your baby, and then everything's beautiful. Like, most of the time, that's how it goes. Whether you're at home, whether you're on your way to the hospital, whether you're in the hospital, whether you're wherever you are, like I said, whether you're in the forest next to a babbling brook, like, that's usually how birth goes. Um, if the reason you fall asleep, birth will happen. Exactly. Right? I've seen exactly. that happen, right? 
Absolutely. You know what to do. 99%, whatever, whatever the percentage is, most of the time, it all works. And that's why I like to talk about physiological birth as opposed to natural birth. Um, the idea that, you know, this is the physiological process and these are the things that interfere with it. And these are the things that you could do if you're having an interference to overcome those interferences and get back onto the physiological track. Um, and so, and I think that if we, you know, even in retrospect, like if we look at stories of successful inductions, successful epidural births, you know, births that don't end up in a cascade of interventions, as they say, um, you will find, or even a successful um, emergency C-section that, and when I say successful, I mean that obviously everyone comes out okay, but also the recovery time is good, like there wasn't any complications in that process. Um, you will find that, that if you look deeply, you'll find that there were factors that, that supported the physiological process within that, within the situation. So I'm not going into that. There, there are resources for that. I can, I'm sure you have the, um, there's a great uh, article by Sarah Buckley. It's kind of old now, but it's really still very um, on point um, called uh, the hormonal, um, I'll share the PDF with you. You can share it with uh, people. For the more sciency among us, you can go and read that. But it's really, um, uh, you know, it's, this is a physiological process that all mammals go through. That's the bottom line. And when we interfere with that process, then, you know, you need to, you're going to have um, complications. And when we support that process, you're going to have fewer complications. Um, I think that's a really important factor about choice is that you always have a choice and you make the best choice. And that you and can, you, with the information and with knowledge and with the situation, that was the best choice that you made at the time, and that's it. And to be like Shalem, to be happy with that. Correct, correct. And you know, one more thing that I'll say: um, Henry Ford, who has some great lines, no matter what else you want to think about him, but he he's the creator of Ford Motors, right? The first car. Um, he was a shrewd businessman, but he was often made fun of that he wasn't very smart. And his answer was, and he created the first motor car. So um, his answer always was, I don't need to know everything. I just have to surround myself by the people who do. And I think that that's a really powerful um, powerful message for birth as well because now that we have access to so much information on the internet and whatever it's almost more pressure to know everything and you don't need to know everything you don't need to know everything you need to choose to have people around you who you trust who you can ask and that's and then you know that you that that you have you made that decision basically in advance. A hundred percent. When I was in midwifery school, they said that midwives sometimes have the hardest births because your brain is running, oh, I, you know, whatever, I sneeze. That could mean this complication. You don't need to know that. My goodness. I had a baby when I was in the middle of midwifery school and, and she was right. And I had to tell myself, 
stop, stop, stop. Birth works. I know what I'm doing. My body's good. Stop thinking so much. I had to, I had to know that knowledge for a test, but I don't need it now because it's, it's all normal. It's all working. And, and it was for sure. It was my longest birth. It wasn't hard. It just, my, my labor just sort of kept stopping because my brain kept going. I had to get my brain out of the way, take a nap, take a shower, do something, and then labor would start again. Mm-hmm. And 100% true. There are so many good things about technology. It's bringing us together. We can share things. But, but those are the dangers of it also. Everybody thinking they have to know or going on those, those groups, right, the support groups. And one person says, oh, my goodness, you know, whatever, my baby's doing this or, you know, I didn't feel something or whatever. And everybody, you can sit there for Hasn't. hours and just get into, like, group panic thing. Oh, yes, absolutely. So know who to trust, know how to recognize. Um, you know, when, when, we, when I say about, when I talk about choice, I also, right, like every, at every stage, you know, choose to um, do a certain amount of research choose to find people that you trust so that you don't have to do all the research and hold all that information in your head. Um, choose to choose to analyze the, you know, the truth of anything that you're reading, right? Choose to verify your sources. Um, you know, and so then when you come to your, to your labor and you come to your birth, you, first of all, you've made some choices in advance. That's, you know, and, and, then, and then the choices that you make in labor, you can feel really confident in them, that they were the right choice, that you always have a choice, that you are using your voice and your power and the support team that you've built around you to make the best choices. So that's, that's true. Go back to one of the things you said was to choose to verify the things you're reading. I think you didn't mean every article you read to verify it. I think what you meant, and I'm, I'm asking if this is what you meant, was if you're going to base your decisions on something that you're reading or on something that you heard, choose to verify that and let the other things go, right? Yeah. Just like let it go and, and everyone has what's right for them and not get stuck. People can get stuck in these internet discussions on, and don't you feel people are, are more passionate about pregnancy, birthing, and babies than like, more than politics, I think. I mean, the women, the way that- I don't know, until you talk about vaccines, so don't <laughs> open that can of worms. No, I'm including vaccines. <laughs> oh, you're including that? I guess so. I guess that's part of it. Um, yeah, I think we are. I think we are, we are very passionate about it, but you know, I think that goes back again to stories. If you think about it, birth is an experience that every um, every biological mother has experienced. And I, I do need to, you know, I do need to qualify that and say every biological mother um, has experienced. But most of, still today, most people who are mothers gave birth to their their babies. And, um, and, um, it's this shared experience. And when we have a global shared experience, think about, um, you know, I mean, these are tragedies, but still think about 9-11. Think about Kennedy's assassination. If you ask anybody who was alive during Kennedy, 
when Kennedy was killed, they can tell you exactly where they were, what they were doing, what they were eating, what it smelled like. Like they can tell you exactly where they were in that moment. Um, I know that our my parents can tell you can tell me exactly where they were when they heard on the radio. Um, you know, Harabayat uh, biadenu. Um, you know, they know exactly where they were, what was going on, everything that changed around them from those simple words, like this, you know, just to bring in a, a good example of, of a universal experience. A special example, yeah. But, right? And, you know, and 9-11, and, and, and that's, that's something that's current for most of us. It's like, almost everyone can tell, like, if you say, where were you on that? I can tell you exactly where I was, who I was on the phone with, what was going on, you know. Yeah. It's a yeah. shared global experience. And, and, and I was in New York. I mean, people here in Israel will tell me where they were when they heard about 9-11. And it's, it's yeah. a global shared experience. And birth is that. And, and we, because of that, and because it's something that we actually experience most, many of us more than once, <laughs> um, you know, I think that it's something that, that is a very, uh, transformational experience. It's very heavy in our, in our... Not heavy in a bad way. Weighty, like no, yes. Weighty, yes. It's a, it is a, uh, a, a weighty experience, exactly. It's very, it's powerful also, Power. right? It's like when you birth your baby, you birth yourself. Like you are a new person, a better person, Yes, that experience, right? And I like each what time. each time. Yeah, no, I'm a different experience. You learn things about yourself. You develop. You grow. You have these these just beautiful, powerful. It's like connecting to nature and 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 olam haba and like it's like the 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 um the heavens just open and this baby comes forth or something. It's it's being a part of something bigger than yourself, I guess. Yeah, connecting to all the other women who have had this experience before you and who are actually having this experience in this exact moment with you. Right. I like to think about when I'm in labor, I gave this example about, um, I was talking about like what a Google mama is. So I was saying, I think of the previous generation, right? So especially when I'm in labor, I think, okay, my mom birthed me, my grandmother birthed her, her mother, right? And I start just counting back. And my mom, Baruch Hashem, is still alive, but all the rest of them, they're not. So I kind of imagine them hovering over me and like being there with me. And, and each of them had to give birth to the next one for me to be here today. All these women that I've never met. Yeah. I don't know them, but I imagine that they're just there for me. And then one day, you know, when it's my turn to like, go meet them they'll be like wow it's so amazing <laughs> i don't know like this big like welcome home party you know we'll but be having our it gives me energy when i'm in labor to know that i'm not the first person to do this yeah. i have not invented a new thing right they all went through it to get me here and i'm gonna get through it too yeah yeah and that's very powerful as well um yeah, I mean, I think I covered all the four elements. Uh, you know, they, like I said, they're 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 kind of fluid, but voice, choice, power, and support. Um, oh, yeah. 
Right, so using your voice or finding the people who will amplify your voice, which connects with support. Um, you know, knowing that you always have a choice and using that power wisely. Um, your power is, is everywhere where you, um, you know, where you stand in your knowledge, in your uh, intuition, in your, um, in your, uh, you know, when you're self-possessed of yourself, when you know this is the right thing for me, this is what I'm feeling. And very often um, in labor, you can be kind of, you know, pushed uh, around to, to forget that you are the one doing this. And, um, and every time that you bring yourself back into your own experience, that's your power. Um, and, and support, uh, again, is building a birth team of people who you trust, of an environment that you trust, um, of the people who are going to support the other four, the other three elements, um, for you and, um, and to be aware in your, um, in your experience, in your birth experience of those four things so that you can grab them back if you feel like you're losing them. And it's not, it doesn't seem like it's a list you have to memorize, but if you're there and suddenly you feel, wait a minute, my voice is not being heard, you'll, 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 you'll have a bit of an awareness, like a buzz to say, okay, what can I do? How can I make myself heard? How can I, how can I not be forced into a decision, but get the answer so that I can make the same decision perhaps, but make it consciously and be in that moment, sort of. This is amazing. This is really a powerful, a very powerful tool to use. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a really beautiful example. So just to close it off, you know, a, a story. I was um, attending a, a birth of a, um, a, it was a fifth birth. She had had a C-section at some point in the past, but she had had, several um, vaginal births and she, this time she was planning a home birth. It was her first home birth and it was also her first birth in Israel. Um, and, um, and, and the, there were, the baby was, um, had actually kind of gotten stuck in a, not a great position. Like the, the labor was sort of dragging on for a really long time and she was starting to get tired and the um, birth, uh, the, uh, the person who was attending the home birth, the actual medical provider, I don't want to say who it was or anything, was a little bit not communicative. And so that sort of didn't allow us to work with the situation. I wasn't, I, I had the suspicion that there was a bad um, position and that the baby was not in a good position, but I'm not the one doing any internal checks. And so, you know, when I asked, um, I got sort of a vague answer. And so, um, but like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. And so I didn't, um, you know, so we all kind of were not in touch with each other, I guess you could say. And at the point where there was a point where we just, where, she, where she decided to transfer to the hospital because, um, 
because things were just not progressing, the baby wasn't coming down and there wasn't really a, a way to know why it wasn't, why the baby wasn't coming down. And there wasn't really distress at that point. So it wasn't like scary, but it was just like, I think that the right place to be right now is in the hospital. It turned out that the ride to the hospital was bumpy and, and like, you know, whatever, and it really brought the baby right down. And by the time we got into the labor room, she was pushing. Um, but because the baby's head is kind of molded in a really weird way, it was, a, it was still sort of a, a rough descent. And, um, and so a doctor comes in and looks at the, you know, so the midwife is, is sort of actively, you know, getting there. This woman, again, it was her first birth in Israel. She didn't have a lot of Hebrew. Um, and there was a lot of commotion around her. And it wow. wasn't comfortable. And, um, and so this midwife is, like, actively going to be helping this mother get that baby out and vaginally and a doctor walks in and looks at the chart and says what this woman's been in labor for 12 hours with no progress isn't this and she had a c-section before isn't this a c-section this happens to be a hospital where the midwives have such fantastic autonomy um so they you know they were like this midwife looked at the doctor and said no way i'm getting this baby out in the meantime the mother didn't understand what was going on. And she's like, why are we, you know, why is somebody, you know, the, the midwife, I don't want to scare anybody, but the midwife was very actually, you know, pulling the baby out, which is not comfortable. Um, but in her mind, I'm saving you from a C-section, but the mother had no idea. So at some point when it got really intense, I, I stopped everybody to wait one second. And I looked at her and like, they, they all kind of looked at me, but I looked at her, I looked her in the eye and I said, listen, this is what's going on. You know, they're, they, they, like, the doctor wants, yeah, I said, exactly. I said, the doctor um, is wanting to do another C-section, but the midwife is sure that she can get this baby out, but it's going to be uncomfortable. Are you okay with that? And she said, yes, let's get this baby out. And she pushed with all her might and the midwife pulled and the baby came out and everyone was fine. And he's a big, beautiful baby. Um, he's a year and a half now and he's gorgeous and everything was fine. But I was yeah. in my mind, I was playing that scenario without me. Right. Without sure. somebody there, that would have been a tremendous. Yeah, right. Exactly. That would have been, why did this happen to me? Having no idea that she was saved from a C-section. Right. And, so once you her in English and she understood she was on board, it didn't, probably didn't even hurt that much because she was like, oh, whatever, you know, no big deal. But it was when somebody was doing something to her and it would intensify the pain, it scared her, it could have caused potentially trauma. That's amazing. One second. Sure. I, have I thought that that was a really powerful sort of, uh, illustration of what that what you know what these four things look like because in the in in just in that very short you know story that I just told we saw her voice and power being taken away and given back to her so that she could make a choice because really I I was I wanted to open it up for her to say no I don't want you to do this take me to the operating room like let her make that choice because this is not that that was how intense it was you're right she could have said oh this is what's going on okay no i actually would prefer a c-section she could have made that choice correct exactly i mean you know i just want to make it clear like, that's how intense the situation was that that would have been a really valid choice in that moment mm -hmm. um and but also that if she were choosing the 
to continue with the vaginal birth to know what she's up against and to make that choice. And so she, she made that choice. She made her voice heard. You know, I, I, I was able to return her voice to her. Um, she, uh, she stood in her power and pushed that baby out. Um, and, and she had the support that, that she needed to, to be able to do it. And, um, and so that, you know, kind of brings everything together. You can see that that was a situation that really could have been traumatic and instead it was empowering. Wow, it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. All right, I have a question for you, Ayelet. Sure. Okay, close your eyes, breathe deeply. Get into the moment now. And I want to know when you, the first thing that pops into your mind, I want you to envision like all the women of Amisrael before you, okay? And you're standing there and you're like, I, I imagine it's like Harsinai, right? And you're standing there, you've got all the women, the women section there. And you have one sentence, whatever pops to your mind, one sentence to say to all the women of Amisrael, what would that be? It would be be heard. I'm getting chills. <laughs> be heard. Okay, what does that mean for you? You, each and every woman in Amisrael and each and every woman in the world has a, a voice, has a story. Um, and our stories are what shape our lives. Be heard. Tell your story, share your voice, and be heard. Amen, amen. That is so beautiful. <laughs> wow. All right. We've come to the part of our show where we get to give away presents. And I have, Ooh, I love it. I love giving away presents. It's so fun. Okay, so we have a whole bunch of different kinds of presents today for you. First of all, Ayala is going to give us right now, tell us how women can be in touch with you, okay? And then this is still going to be in the show notes. You don't have to write it down if you're not next to a pen or anything. But um, if you book a session, right, and there's different things that you do, let us know what you do. Sure. What do, what do they get? If they um, mention Geula Mamas, when they get to you, what happens? Sure. Um, so first of all, I invite you to, um, to schedule a, I call it a virtual coffee, just a 15 minute, um, you know, conversation to get to know better what your needs are, whether it's um, preparing for an upcoming birth or uh, working through a previous birth. So that's just always. Um, and, and that you can find, I'll put, put the link in the show notes. It's healingher.as that me slash comp session, but I will, I will put the, uh, um, I will put a link in the show notes. Um, that's, that's, you know, anybody and everybody, anytime, please reach out from to me and, you know, we can, we can talk about what's going on for you. Um, but, uh, Gaula Mamas, um, I would love to offer a complimentary, um, either, Birth, full birth visioning session. So that's a, a half hour session where we create a birth, I don't call it a birth plan, but um, a, uh, a birth vision 
for you, help you clarify what it is that you want, what's important to you, um, so that you can go on and, and make sure that you can grab those four elements in your in your birth and your experience. Um, and if you are trying to work through a previous birth, then um, I'd be very happy to offer any Gula Mama um, a also a full 30-minute birth story comfort session where we talk about your birth story a little bit, um, talk about how it's affecting you now, and figure out what the best steps forward are, whether it's a Birthing Our Stories workshop or session, or whether it's a different um, modality uh, that can help you to work through your birth story. So is this... For anyone who contacts you and mentions Gula Mamas can have half an hour, or is this for one person? Um, oh, you wanted to do a drawing, right? Did you want to? I'm about to do a drawing. Okay, so <laughs> we can do it. So I'll, um, that that's for anybody. Okay, that's for anybody. Any Gula Mama can have a free, uh, a complimentary half hour session. They can um, have a virtual coffee instead of is it either or? And no not I have people who like do these have you know I I don't want to say you know they're not taking advantage because I love doing it but <laughs> they'll like call me every couple of months for they'll set up a 15 minute session like okay <laughs> well, I, I set up a 15 minute virtual coffee with yes. you and that's part of my today so this is great and I didn't know I could do it again so you can do it again <laughs> please do virtual coffee. anyone who mentions Gula Mamas gets a half an hour of either preparing their, their birth vision in advance, or if they had any sort of trauma or things they want to process, talking about that, whatever they choose, right? And then setting up whatever they may or may not need going forward, right? And on top of that, you also want to give something away in a drawing? Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, what I will give away in the drawing is a, um, oh, wow. I didn't think about that just in advance. I want to give something special. Um, <laughs> um, oh, I know. I will get, I would, I would be very happy to give a copy of the, um, labor readiness guide for doulas and birth partners. It's, it, it's designed for, to be read by a birth partner, but it's a great tool for um, for couples to go through uh, ways of preparing your body in the third trimester for a positive and easy easier labor. So I'm happy to send that PDF out to anyone who to the person who wins this drawing. Great. So the way you are eligible for this drawing is simply by being a member of the Geula Mamas Club, the Facebook club. And I've put everyone's names into my sweet little mug here. Okay. So first is, up, and I'm going to pick a name at random. So this person, first thing we're giving away here is a copy of, what was that, the Labor Readiness Guide, you said? Yeah. Awesome. Deborah Beanham. Deborah, we will be in, I will be in touch and we will find out your snail mail. Oh no, that's actually email. Okay, this is the PDF. Find out her email or or can you can you Facebook uh, message it? I can. Um actually I'll just um I think Deborah has a copy because she is a birth professional, if I'm not mistaken. 
So maybe you want to choose another name and see if there's a mama in there who can. Right. I know. Some of the people I know, this person I know is also a birth professional and also part of your group. Uh Let me just find someone who's not. Wait. I think this person is not part of your group because I know I don't know everyone in here, but I'm getting to know everyone. It's very exciting. Is Ronit Peskin part of your group? She's not. All right, Ronit Peskin. And <laughs> personally, don't need it. You can also pass, pass it on. Pass it on. Send it yeah. to also save it for your daughters, daughter-in-laws, etc. Whatever person might need, use it for your friends. Okay, great. Well done, Ronit. Yay! <laughs> now I have made some very very yummy presents for you guys. Okay, and I'm gonna make some more. These are magnets, and. During our conversation, Mariella, you said a few things that were that were magnet worthy. So uh, we're going to go over that, and we're going to make some more magnets because I'm very into making magnets these days. Okay. Cool. So I have made two magnets. One of them says, "I am so precious. Hashem loves me more than I can ever imagine." That is what I want you to have on your refrigerator, and so that you can say that affirmation and remember that when you're going around your day. The second one says. Watch me bring the geula. Each and every geula mama is part of bringing the geula, and if someone thinks we can't do it, they should watch because we're doing it. So that nice. I'm going to be sending via snail mail. I'm going to wrap up. I actually bought some wrapping paper. I'm going to be wrapping them up. I'm super super excited here. So let's see. Now this could be this can be for birth professionals. So I'm putting back in because anybody can get. I get all the mama's magnet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Rachel I don't know how you pronounce her last name. Please forgive me if I mess up anybody's last name. I know her, so I know she'll forgive me. Okay, great. <laughs> and and da 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 A not green gauze. I'm so sorry. Last names are so hard, right? Sometimes All right, so we have Rachel and Anat. Yo, we will be sending those out. I will be in touch with the, the addresses and everything. I am so excited. And I want you to remember that me and Ayala, both of us love you more than you can imagine. Also, Hashem loves you. We love you. Kisses and hugs. Bye. Love you.